Good evening, I'm Christina Young and you're back with me in our book lounge. In our special series of Halloween short stories, I'm going to read you the third and final one, which comes from Spooky Ambiguous, which is a wonderful little book about ghosts and vampires, zombies and werewolves, and a mirror with danger at its heart. I hope you enjoy. Mirror, Mirror by Michael Bartlett. Most people would not consider stamp collecting to be a dangerous hobby, and if asked, not that he ever was, Leslie Deacon would have agreed with them. However, the last week in October was to prove him wrong. Taking advantage of the autumn half-term holiday, he had travelled to this Midlands market town to attend a philatelic fest. He was an ardent philatelist, and this event promised to be very rewarding, with guests, speakers, experts and dealers, plus various items for sale. He was looking forward to a pleasant and profitable few days. He did not know the town, but had booked into the Feathers, which described itself as an old coaching inn. The building was older than he'd expected. His room had a slightly uneven floor, and none of the walls were entirely square. A rickety bamboo table stood next to the bed, and the wardrobe creaked alarmingly when he walked past it. There was a full-length plate glass mirror on the opposite wall, and a piece of furniture he thought might be an ottoman, though exactly what that was, or what it was used for, he had no idea. He was also conscious of a slightly musty smell, as though the room wasn't used very often. Still, the place has character, he thought, and then chuckled, thinking that was exactly what his mother would have said had she been there. He had been slightly disconcerted when he arrived in the town to see every building lavishly decorated with lanterns, dangling skeletons, witches on broomsticks, vampires, assorted masks and dozens of inanely grinning pumpkins. Is it always like this round here? He asked Tom Wisbeach, the manager of the Feathers, as he was signed in and given his key. Course not, said Tom, only in the week leading up to Halloween. Oh, that's this week, is it? Sure is, said Tom. Let me see. You'll still be here Saturday night, won't you? Good. You can come to our Halloween costume party in the main bar. Buffet food and lots of spooky fun. And he waggled his fingers in the air invitingly. Well, we'll have to see, said Leslie tactfully, thinking privately to himself over my dead body American-inspired rubbish. He went for a wander round the town before dinner. He liked the feel of the place, higgledy-piggledy buildings, none more than three storeys high. There was even an unusual-shaped clock tower, more reminiscent of central France than the English Midlands. Suddenly, he found himself wishing he could share this with someone, someone like Emma. She was another teacher at his school in her mid-twenties, ten years younger than him, and they'd become friends. Occasionally, he found himself wishing they were more than just friends, but in spite of his age, he'd never been very good at turning friendship into a relationship with a woman, and he didn't know how to put his thoughts into words. 
He had scampi and chips and a pint of the local bitter in the bar before making his way up to his room. As he sat on the end of the bed, his glance fell on the mirror on the opposite wall. It was a large mirror, which reflected most of the room. It gave him a rather eerie feeling, as though he was looking at the room twice. He switched on the bedside lamp, put out the main light and turned back the covers. Then he heard, or thought he heard, someone say, Help me very faintly. He listened, but there was nothing more. He went to the door and peered out down the corridor, but it was empty. For a moment, he thought he caught a faint scent of lavender, but as he sniffed, it vanished. Must have imagined it, he thought, and went to bed. The next day, he spent an enjoyable time at the Philatelic Fest, in the late afternoon, he listened to a very interesting talk about German hyperinflation stamps in 1923. This was the time of a general strike, leading to the collapse of Germany's economy, a time when the cost of a loaf of bread rose from 250 marks to 2 billion marks in just 10 months. This German hyperinflation was documented in a series of stamps overprinted and issued at the time. Very interesting. He had supper in a local cafe, went back to the feathers for a nightcap and was upstairs in his room just after nine. As he put his exhibition catalogue down on the bedside table, he glanced across at the mirror. Then suddenly his own reflection faded and was replaced by that of a young woman. She appeared to be in her twenties, dressed in a long skirt, frilly lace blouse with high collar and a gold locket round her neck, like an Edwardian costume. Her head was cast down and her shoulders slumped. Perhaps he made some involuntary sound because she suddenly looked up and saw him. Her hands flew up to her face. She looked absolutely terrified. Then her image wavered and disappeared. Leslie was very shaken. He went over to the mirror and tapped it. Solid. He tried to peer behind it, but it was fixed firmly. With a slight chill, he realised that the mirror was hung on an outside wall, so there could not possibly be anything behind it. It took him some while to get to sleep that night. When he woke on Thursday morning, the mirror appeared perfectly normal and he convinced himself it had all been a bad dream. He passed another pleasant day at the Philatelic Fest and made several interesting purchases for his collection. That evening, the guest speaker's subject was stamps as a valuable source for studying the impact of conflict and war. The man showed images of Latvian stamps from 1918, which were printed on the reverse of discarded paper used in the manufacture of banknotes because of the acute shortage of paper after the First World War. Leslie was fascinated. That night it was quite late when he returned to his room. He resolutely tried to avoid looking at the mirror, but then a faint voice said, 
help me. In spite of himself, he turned round as the mirror image rippled and the shape of the young woman gradually appeared. She was clearly nervous, but looked straight at him and said, Help me, please, sir. Not many people in his life called him sir, other than his pupils. Who are you? What do you want? She shook her head, and in spite of himself, he was entranced by the way her brown hair swirled around her shoulders. Leslie tried again. What do you want me to do? Help me. Oh, please, sir, I beg of you, help me. Then she gave a sudden shriek. The image shimmered, then disappeared, and Leslie found himself staring at his own white face in the mirror. It was nearly dawn before he managed to fall into a fitful sleep. The following morning after breakfast, he tentatively asked Tom Wispeach about the mirror in his bedroom. The man looked puzzled. Do you mean the shaving mirror behind the hand basin? No, no, the tall plate glass mirror on the wall opposite the bed. Edwardian, is it? Mm, there's no mirror in that room, sir. Maybe you were seeing a reflection from the window. Now he was even more disturbed. He had a difficult day, partly because of the lack of sleep, partly because he wondered if he was going mad. He avoided alcohol all day, skipped that evening's lecture, the Jamaican abolition of slavery stamp 1921, and wandered round the town in a kind of daze. The streets had the smoky smell of autumn and the grinning pumpkins and dancing skeletons in the shop windows seemed to mock him. Not for the first time he regretted his solitary life. It wasn't that he felt lonely, but there were times when he would like someone to talk to, someone like Emma, perhaps. It was nearly midnight when he finally, rather apprehensively, returned to his room at the Feathers. He had made a decision. He knew he was not drunk. He knew he was a rational person. He knew that the woman in the mirror could not really exist, so he would face it head on. He sat on the end of his bed and gazed at the mirror. His own reflection stared solidly back at him. After about 20 minutes, he gave up and turned away. Then behind him. Help me. He swung round and there she was, young, beautiful, vulnerable. Who are you? My name is Emily. Oh, sir, please. As a gentleman, I beg of you, help me. I'm Leslie and I want to help you, but I don't understand. What can I do? Save me, sir. I'm in great danger. Instinctively, he reached out his hand. It seemed to pass through the glass, and for a moment he felt the touch of another hand in his, a warm hand whose fingers seemed to stroke his palm. Then, suddenly, there was a violent jerk. The woman screamed. The other hand was wrenched away, and there was nothing but his own reflection in the mirror, a faint scent of lavender hung in the air.
his rational thoughts vanished. He was frightened, but also exultant. He had held her hand, felt her skin, the touch of a woman often longed for, rarely achieved. Just that once, a memory that never left him. Winter, ice everywhere. Emma had slipped on the school steps and had nearly fallen, but he grabbed her hand and held her upright. He had not let go immediately. She had smiled up at him and he felt her warmth in that clasp. With hindsight, that was the moment he could have said something, but he hadn't and the moment passed. And now there was Emily. Was she real? Some kind of glimpse through time? Was she imaginary? Was this something his mind had conjured up because he'd been thinking about Emma? If so, perhaps this was the spur he needed to turn dream into reality when he got home. In a mixture of longing and confusion, he eventually fell into a troubled sleep. And then it was Saturday, the last day of the philatelic fest. The day passed. He made a few more purchases, picked up some new catalogues, resisted the temptation of a talk about misconceptions of the penny black, and finally returned to the feathers in the early evening. As he walked in the front door, he found the Halloween event in full swing. The room was hot and noisy, so he turned away and went upstairs. Once in his room, he looked at the mirror. He tapped it. Still solid. He started packing, ready for his departure in the morning, and then he heard her voice behind him. Oh, sir, help me, please. There she was, in the mirror. An elegant Edwardian young lady, lace blouse, high collar, long skirt, still with the gold locket round her neck and long brown hair flowing across her shoulders. As she turned to face him, she seemed to stumble and instinctively he reached out his hand. Emma, this is Leslie, let me help you. My name is Emily, sir. Emily, sorry, yes, of course, Emily. Save me, sir, I beg you. Save you from what? The shapes. They are all around me, horrible shapes. I am so frightened. What do you mean, shapes? What sort of shapes? They float, they threaten me. They are clammy, they are everywhere, they are coming for me. Oh, Emily, how can I help? I know not, sir, but you are a gentleman. You are strong, I know you can. Suddenly she shrieked, No, no, stay away, I beg you. Then the mirror shimmered and she disappeared. Leslie was very shaken. He sat down on the bed and tried to pull himself together. Her face haunted him, delicate and frightened. He could not bear to stay alone in this room. He didn't want to go to the Halloween party, but he had to get out. He had to have company. Downstairs, the main bar was packed. Everyone was in costume, ghosts and skeletons, witches and goblins, skull masks and endless grinning pumpkins. The low ceiling with its rough-hewn wooden beams added to his sense of dislocation. He hesitated. Then a man appeared at his elbow. Good man, Mr. Deacon. Glad you decided to join us. 
He recognised Tom Wisbeach, now wearing a chequered brown suit with a watch chain across the waistcoat, a silk cravat at the throat and sporting a luxurious but somewhat askew false moustache. His costume was topped off with a rather precarious bowler hat. Come on, Tom said, let me get you a drink. They were on their way towards the bar when suddenly the crowds parted and there in front of them was a young woman dressed in Edwardian style, lace blouse, high collar, long skirt and a gold locket around her neck. She was wearing a black hood and also had two very obviously false vampire teeth, but they could not hide the fact that she was beautiful. Oh, hello, said Tom. Let me introduce you. Emily, this is Mr... She interrupted him. Don't worry, Tom. Mr Deacon and I have already met. She held out her hand. Their fingers touched briefly. Then suddenly her vampire teeth fell out and landed on the floor. She laughed. Oops, they don't fit too well. She bent down to pick them up. And in a moment of instinctive courtesy, Leslie handed her his handkerchief. Her eyes sparkled as she took it and polished the teeth before replacing them, watching his face the whole time. Thank you, kind sir. Then, before he could speak, she gave him a brilliant smile and vanished into the crowd, leaving a faint scent of lavender hanging in the air. He realised she still had his handkerchief and he tried to go after her, but Tom had hold of his arm. In a daze, he accepted a drink. In a daze, he joined in the buffet all the time looking round for the woman. For the next hour or so, he searched the room, but she had vanished. All right, he thought, if the real girl's disappeared, I'll look for the mirror girl. Back in his room, the half-packed suitcase was waiting, but he ignored it. He sat on the bed and looked at the mirror. His own reflection stared back at him. Nothing happened. I know you're there, he said to the mirror. I'm waiting. It seemed to him that the room's musty smell was a little stronger and there seemed to be a taste of dust in his mouth. He ran his tongue over dry lips and then the mirror began to shimmer and suddenly there she was. Help me, Leslie, help me. I want to help you, Emily, but I need to know what's going on. The shapes, they are coming. They're going to absorb me. Absorb you? What do you mean? They'll make me one of them. I cannot escape. She began to pant. She looked terrified and her arms flayed about her as though fighting off something unseen. He started forward as she stretched out her hands towards him. Oh, please, Leslie, please help me. He stepped forward. His arm went through the glass and he grabbed hold of her. He tried to pull her towards him, but suddenly his wrist was gripped tight and he was dragged towards the mirror. In that last moment before the glass dissolved around him, he saw Emily's look of fear turn to one of triumph. She opened her mouth and he saw two long curved blood-red teeth. Teeth, he knew, were not going to fall out. The next morning, when he didn't appear for breakfast, they found his bed had not been slept in. All his luggage, including the half-packed suitcase, 
was still in the room. His car was still in the car park, but of Leslie Deacon, there was no sign. And there was no mirror on the bedroom wall. Oh goodness, I think Leslie's days of stamp collecting might be over. I hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you for doing so. Bye for now.